This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 521 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, Total Saddle Fit, and Herm Springer. Today, we have a great show lined up with Sarah Lockman, who was just named to the U.S. team for the Pan Am Games. Then we will be joined by Vivian Schmidt of Herm Springer, followed up by a judge's tip by Joanne Bauhaus. This is Reese Koffler-Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Phil. How are you this week? I'm doing great. We just had Canada Day. And yeah, coming up, that's right. We have Independence Day. Independence so Day. We're, we, it's I know, a holiday kind of, week for everyone in North week. America. Well, yeah. <laughs> in Canada and the U.S. anyways. Yeah, trying to figure out when to record, and, and, and Glenn, our producer, is on today, so trying to figure it all out has been a, a fun challenge, but we are here, and we're happy to be here, and yeah, it's very hot here in Kentucky. I don't know how it is in Canada. It's perfect. Yeah, exactly, because it's summer. It's hot here, and it's just in time for our local horse show for the week, so we're all a little bit dying and, and definitely getting all the the Gatorade ready for the weekend, but should be fun, and, and I just got my times, and I was like really looking forward to a morning time, but I'm 2.30 in the afternoon both days. <laughs> yeah. Now, if they, my, is, that, is that a normal thing for them to excuse coats in a show like this? It is. Um, I have a wonderful coat, though, that honestly is like, I'm almost cooler wearing it because it keeps the sun off you. So uh, I have yeah, one of those coats you can see through, you know, that's, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a special. Hand, handy in Florida and in yes. Kentucky in the summer. Yeah, that's why I bought it. I, I kind of, so I love that coat. So I very rarely will pull my coat, but, you know, it's just because that coat is fantastic. So I don't want anybody passing out, but I prefer to wear my coat if I can. But uh, yeah, Big Mike is doing his third three debut. So I'm really looking okay. forward to that. And uh, it's kind, kind of fun. Everyone's been following follow me uh, as we bought him a couple of years ago. So Big Mike's doing his show and, and I've got some fun students going. So all good things for sure. So um, and we have a fantastic show and quick shout out. They just named the U.S. team. Uh, for the Pan American Games, and I'm really, uh, fingers crossed, we will. We have gotten two of the four recorded, so we're hoping to get the whole team. But Sarah Lockman is coming on the show today. Jennifer Baumert, Endel Otz, and Nora Batchel Elchler are on the sh- on the team, and they're all great supporters of our show. So we're looking forward to chatting with all those guys. We hope and hearing about their adventure to Lima, Peru, here shortly. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, we're also starting a new segment with the company Herm Springer. Most people will know them for their bits, but they also do a few other things, and we're going to hear all about it later in the show. Uh, Vivian is going to come on and tell us about the history of Herm Springer and all the great things they do to bring, you know, to bring awesome products to us. 
I'm really looking forward to it. I've had it. I've visited now the plant twice in Iserlohn, Germany, and uh, they're a great company. And and I really uh, can't tell you how much I learned. I, I was absolutely fascinated now with the bits. So we're excited they're joining us. And Heiko Cook made that happen as well. So we're excited. And he's a listener of the program. So we're excited about all that. Uh, but actually, we're going to get into their uh, commercial break. And uh, we're going to come back with Sarah Lockman from the U.S. Pan Am team to Lima, Peru. Each week, you carefully plan out your horse's training schedule. You work with your trainer to fine-tune his flat work. You school through grids to perfect his jump and set up multiple courses to educate your eye. You enjoy long hacks to keep his mind fresh and body strong. Show day arrives. You take a deep breath as you enter the ring. We've got this, you whisper so only he can hear you. You move as one, sailing over each element in perfect harmony. The feeling you get when it all clicks. It's why we do what we do. This feeling is brought to you by Joint Armor. Joint Armor's complete formula provides your horse with the nutrients necessary to support healthy joints throughout his lifetime. Joint Armor maintains fluid motion and flexibility in hardworking joints. It supports normal cartilage development and reduces joint deterioration. Joint Armor provides high levels of both glucosamine and chondroitin, plus 100 milligrams of hyaluronic acid. Best of all, Joint Armor is affordable. One small jar lasts up to 75 days. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Well, tonight we are so excited to have the newly named one of the Pan American team members, Sarah Lockman, on the show. She is from California and an FEI rider and trainer and the rider for Summit Farm. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We are, we are, I was so excited. I was able to see you and Apple this winter in Florida. So I've been rooting you guys on all season and wow, what a phone call. I'm sure you, you got Yes, I know. It's, it, there are definitely have been many pinch me moments. Things are happening quite quickly. It feels like just yesterday I, you know, met Apple and, and now we're going on one of the biggest adventures I think we could ever be asking for. And I feel so honored to be able to ride under our, our American flag and ride for the U.S. That's been a childhood dream of mine. Um, and never mind to do it on such a fabulous horse. I feel quite lucky. So tell us about your partner, Apple, because he's wonderful. Yes. So Apple is a nine-year-old Dutch stallion. His breeding, he's Vivaldi by, out of a Partou mare. So he's super bred. Um, he is a stallion, uh, but has never been bred yet. We're saving that for later. And he's a total gentleman. Um, he was very successful as a young horse in the seven-year-old world, world breeding championships with Patrick Vandermeer, who was his previous rider before me, had a, had a quite a good career over in Europe in Holland. I just happened to stumble upon him on a shopping trip for sales horses. I wasn't even really looking for a horse for myself. And I have to tell you, after just moments after sitting on him, I mean, tears came to my eyes because, I mean, it's just totally my horse. You know, we have such a strong connection and such an emotional connection that I think that's been one of our keys to success and having so much success within a very short period of time. So, you know, I think this is one of your kind of once in a lifetime horses and, and I've happened to find him. So I'm really excited to have him. And, you know, he's a super competitor. 
He loves his job. He's a showman. You know, I feel like he goes around the ring and he perks his ears up and sits up a little taller and tells everybody to watch him. So it's it's a really fun thing when we both can kind of enjoy the very harsh kind of competitive life that we have. But I think he really likes it. So Sarah, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself now, you know, your history in the sport and maybe how you, you know, became uh, an international competitor. Yeah, so I have probably been riding since before I could walk. Um, my mom is from South Africa and had had horses all her life there. And she moved over, you know, and, and started having children. She said, you know, I'm going to have a daughter and she's going to be named Sarah and she's going to ride horses. Well, on, when my mother and I were away on a trip and I was just maybe three years old, my dad, who is not at all a horse person, never mind even an animal person, decided to start looking through the penny saver at the time, which is just a, like a Craigslist magazine, you know, before internet. And he found a 32-year-old, one-eyed, quarter-horse pony that came with all of her tact. I think at that point, he probably should have uh, been paid to take the horse <laughs> instead of taking <laughs> the horse. But, but you know what? That was the start of my riding career. And I like literally when they put me on the horse, I think I was riding more often than I was walking. And so that's kind of where the love of horses started. And it just kind of skyrocketed from there. I did Western pleasure. And then that I did some trail. And once I did trail, my horse kind of hopped over one of the little trail obstacles. Then I decided I wanted to do jumping. So I actually was very involved in pony club as a kid. And I'm a graduate B pony clubber. And my parents were our local pony club and pony club to help helped take me into my eventing career. And I was really lucky, had a very successful eventing career. You know, I didn't come from a lot of money. And so I was homeschooled all throughout my childhood so that I could work for my trainers. Um, I was the kid that lived literally in a tent outside of my trainer's house so that I could wake up and clean stalls and work for her and, and take lessons. So when I took horses off the racetrack, actually, and restarted them and made them my um, eventing horses. So I evented, I did all the way up until uh, two stars. I was one of the, the youngest doing, you know, CCI two stars at the time. And I definitely loved the thrill. And during that period of time, I obviously you have to be very good at dressage to be successful in eventing. So I had a super dressage trainer, Shelly Edwards, who really took her, me under her wing and taught me what it was to feel and all kind of the ins and outs and the biomechanics. And that, that really caught my interest. Um, shortly after, I think I was, I was 15, actually, I, I moved to California and I couldn't drive. So I rode a moped, but I, I moved to California hmm. and lived with um, B. DeGrazia and Derek DeGrazia, who Derek at the time was the eventing young rider coach. And B. DeGrazia was a um, very influential member of the CDS dressage in Carmel Valley in like Monterey area. Um, so that was kind of my first splurge into the real world, um, starting my professional career. Um, and then at 16, I moved down here to Southern California and worked for a big training and sales barn for about seven years before starting my own business in 2012. So since 2012, I have ran my own business and been very lucky to have some super successful um, young horses all the way through to Grand Prix horses and clients in the midst of that as well. 
um, I was kind of known as the crazy one um, that always rode a million horses. Um, I think one of my records was at a CDS USDF championships. I had 21 horses in my barn between myself and clients. <laughs> so I had <laughs> Whoa, I'm like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a lot, um, but I loved every minute of it. Um, and I actually held about about fifty horses in training in in my barn for quite a few years. And I had some super assistant trainers and grooms and assistants and barn managers that helped me obviously keep it together. But I I kind of went that route of building big business and going now to where I am you know, at this point in my career is quite a bit different. And Jerry Ibanez, who owns Summit Farm, is my current sponsor. And now I work for him exclusively and ride about 10 horses a day. Um, six or seven of them are my competition horses that I can focus on building and developing. Um, you know, they're, they're all part of my string and plan for the future. And I still have my sales business because I've, I've always had quite a successful sales business. So I still actually do quite a few of imports, mostly amateur horses, um, some nice young horses, but, but mostly the pre-St. George, I won Grand Prix schoolmasters. So, so oh. that's about where I am now so that I can really focus on my riding and my career and, uh, you know, a little bit of quality over quantity at this moment. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. So tell us now, Pan American Games, kind of tell us the time frame of what you're sort of doing in the next couple of weeks with, you know, going to the Pan Ams. Like what happens? Because I think that's so fun so, for us all to hear. Yeah. Right, right. So I have to say, being kind of the rookie at this, it was a little shocking how last minute everything feels. So they just named the team on June 24th, which is which is great. We were so excited. And I don't even think we've had time to celebrate yet. At some point, that's going to happen. <laughs> but uh, so everything happens really fast. So it's just so important. And everybody has stressed that it's so important that we stay very organized and on top of all the paperwork that USEF is providing for us. And, you know, thankfully, I live kind of a quite a busy showing and travel life. So I feel like I'm always packed. But basically, around the middle of June, I will, or I'm sorry, July, I don't even know what month it is, see? <laughs> uh, around the middle of July, <laughs> I will be heading to Florida for training camp along with the other team members. Um, my plan is to get there a little bit early. I'm, I'm actually the only rider from the West Coast. Everybody else yeah. is East Coast, so I'm mostly based in Florida. So I'm totally representing the West Coast going into this and very, very proud to be doing so. Um, but that means that I need a little more time because we are not used to the humidity that Florida experiences in the summer. So my plan is to get there a little bit early and really take it easy. And then the whole team gets there, including my groom and the team vets and all of the USEF staff. And um, my coach, Scott Hassler, also flies in a few days later. And we do a few days, four or five days together as a team, team meetings. They teach us about media and what we're allowed to say and not allowed to say and, you know, what we're allowed to wear and not allowed to wear and, and just details like that, especially for someone as myself who hasn't, you know, I haven't competed internationally under a team name. You know, that's, that's the thing. When we go to Peru, we are no longer, I'm no longer Sarah Lachman of Summit Farm. I'm Team USA, which is so crazy. I get goosebumps saying that. But <laughs> yes. so there's, there's rules that go with that. So basically, we just go to Florida to, to kind of get together as a team, you know, I'm sure raise some team spirit, 
go over some last minute details as far as the training and riding as well. I mean, just like you would at at home preparing for a horse show. And then we head off to Lima, I believe around the 21st or 22nd. So, and then we're in Lima for a week or so before the jog. So it gives the horses plenty of time to acclimatize and get used to the different weather that we're going to have to experience. Because the other part of this is in Lima, it is winter. So we're going to go from 100 degrees in Florida in the worst part of the heat to winter, which is between 50 and 60 degrees and raining in Lima. So um, our horses definitely are going to be stressed as far as going through weather changes. So we want to leave plenty of time for them to adjust. Now, have they talked to you about the elevation that Lima, you know, how high up it is? Um, you know what, they have not brought that up specifically. So I, I, but I assume that's being taken into account. You know, they have our U.S. team vets that travel with the rest of the team, even in the Olympics and everything are, are traveling with us along with, you know, Tim Duda, uh, with Duda Corp traveling with the horses. And I think they have so much experience there going to guide us through the procedures to keeping the horses comfortable. And as far as fitness goes and what they need upon arrival to adjust as well. Wow. Okay. What a fun adventure. Oh my goodness. You know, it's it's That's so amazing. fun to be able to watch you guys and cheer you on. And like you said, I mean, it's a huge difference when you start representing your country. It's, it's fantastic. And we all are so excited for you. Well, Sarah, we oh, can't thank, thank you. you enough for coming on. Can you tell us how our listeners can get a hold of you and, and, and show some team spirit? Yes. Yes. Well, please look me up. I'm not, I am very big on Facebook and Instagram. So it's Sarah Lockman on Facebook or at SL Dressage on my Instagram. I also have a website, two websites. You can go to www.summitfarm.com to learn more about Summit Farm and our lovely sales horses and where I'm located and where Apple and I train on a daily basis. And if you want to find more about me and my background and my sponsors, you can go to my website, which is www.sldressage.com. And I would really love to thank all my sponsors who've made all of this possible. MDC Stirrups, DSB Sport Boots, Platinum Performance, American Family Feed, Foot Huggy Socks, N2 Salaries, Anique Sports Shirts, Halter Ego. Thank you to all of these people who have made this possible and are helping Apple and I on our trip to Lima. Well, one of the things, Phil, that that we've really started doing in our training, and and there's multiple different companies out there, bit fitting has become a really hot topic and something that has sort of become, in my training program, a very important thing that we work on. So we're really excited now. We we know that this has been a hot topic, and we're excited that Hermspringer is coming on, a fantastic, really the leader in bits throughout the world. They're going to come on now and talk to us a little bit about their bits and the history of the company and why their bits are are so fantastic. So we hope you enjoy this conversation with Vivian Schmidt. Well, tonight we are so excited to introduce our bit segment from Hermspringer. We have Vivian Schmidt. She's the U.S. sales and marketing guru for Hermspringer. Vivian, welcome to the show. We're really excited to get these segments started. So are we. Thank you. So we have to tell the story on how this started. So we have to give a huge shout out to Heiko Koch. He is at Herbspringer. And we happened when I was doing our visit with Jill Stowe, Jill and I just 
we're like, we would love to see how bits are made. So we kind of out of the blue emailed Heiko and we wanted to take our students to Hermspringer and Ezerloan. And he answered and we went, you know, it was one of those things like, let's do this. And we went to see how the bits were manufactured and we got to meet him and, and then I got to meet you and, and now here we are. So we're really, really honored to have you. And uh, I can't wait to share what I've learned at Hermspringer because I, I didn't realize the, how bits were made and the quality of the bits and the thought process that goes into the bits. So we were going to have you start today a little bit with the history of the company and how it got started. Well, I think you actually said something really interesting in that introduction, and that is that you had no idea how bits are made. And I think that's really where it starts. And that's one thing that's so important for us is that we do want people to start thinking about their bits and how they're made and what actually they're putting into their horse's mouth. So that's a big focus for us. Um, So that's one of the reasons that we're super excited to be doing these segments as well. So you said you had met Heiko Koch, but I think you probably also met Martin Springer when you were there. I did. He's the the family. He is the family. So he is the, the current owner, CEO. His name is Martin Springer, Springer as in Herm Springer Company. So he's actually the fifth generation owner of this company. So the company was founded in 1872 in Isolon, where you were. I think you saw some of the original parts of that plant as it was in 1872. And we're still using parts of that plant and have built on and built on and built on. So it's pretty cool to have five generations of research and of art that go into making these bits. And and that's true. You know, that's the thing. Like, I had no idea. And shout out to Martin. I'm sorry I I didn't bring him in the intro because he is such a wealth of knowledge and just can't wait to share it with you. And and he was like that, the tours we had of of the factory. So we were able to take the students into the factory and see how the bits were made. So uh, can you talk to us a little bit about, like, I had, I just, I never even thought about it. Like, I, I didn't know. So can you tell us, you know, start us with the process. So, I mean, we hand pour our bit pieces. So it's a patented metal that we use currently, which is called Sensagon. So it has quite a bit of copper in it. We use copper because it's really easy to shape, um, but it is a very soft metal. So we have to harden the copper with some other elements. We use manganese and we use silicone to do that. So we hand pour the bit pieces, we hand pour the rings, and then we hand weld them together and we polish them and we hand stamp them and we put them in beautiful boxes. And I always say when I get a new box with a Springer bit in it, it's like opening a piece of jewelry. And I've been doing this for a long time and I still get excited when I see that brand new bit in that box, hand polished. It, it it truly is is just such a craft and an art, and like I say, it's it's a piece of jewelry. Yeah, and I I didn't again before I started sort of on this journey of learning how the bits were made. I had zero concept, and I thought, oh, I I don't even know. I hadn't even thought about it, right? And I have to be honest, when I got the box, you're so excited to use your bit, you don't even look at the label and like what went into the bit. Like I am completely guilty of doing well, that. Well, I think like, I think in this day and age, we all assume that everything is made by robots in a factory and there's not very much, you know, hands-on processes with, with products. And, 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 you know, we, we sort of think that the hand process is, is 
passe and, and not really the way companies are making a profit these days. But I'm glad to hear that Herm Springer, you know, it's it's employing people. It's it's about quality, about, you know, how many hands the bit has gone through before you get it. And you know that somebody's looked at it. Somebody's checked it for quality and, and checked it that it, it is the right bit, you know, before and it's you not just get somebody, it you know, it's right. It's not just somebody. It's, it's many people who have touched it and who have taken part in that process. And, you know, German, German employees and the whole German education system is so different than it is here. I mean, this is still a craft, you know, so these are craftsmen that learn this art and that learn this craft and they do it for the rest of their lives, for the most part, you know, people in, in Germany still take a job and, you know, go to work at Sprenger when they're 18, 21 years old. And, you know, for the most part, they still expect to retire from that same company. So literally, you have people who have been making bits for decades, working, you know, with people next to people who have also been making bits and pieces of bits for decades. It's impressive. And it's, pretty incredible because like you say, it's just not something that we're aware of or we even really think of anymore in this country as something that happens. Well, I think also with a with a family owned company and a family company, there's a passion around it. There's a passion for making a great product, um, you know, and putting it on shelves and, and making sure that um, everything is right and that and that people maybe would should come to appreciate that passion that, that's gone into every single bit. Yeah, it's 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 just cool. I'm so glad Reese got a chance to take some of her students there too, and that she's seen it, and that Jill has seen it. And it is one of those things that you know, if 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 and when people are in Germany, we're very proud of our production facility um, and love to to give tours and and show people sort of the the history and and tell people our story. Yeah, and, and, and that's true. That I couldn't believe it. Martin took time out of his day. I'm sure he's a very busy man, but he came in to talk to us and talk to us about why the shapes and why the molds and how many they do per unit. And I mean, it was really, it was just fascinating. I had zero concept. And then, you know, they took us into where they polish the bits and there's special stones that they use per bit. And, and then Aren't also those stones cool too. They're, so cool. That they're was like favorite. these really the cool black stones that are in this drum. It's really cool. Yeah, and then the they take each there. piece out. Yeah, yeah. It's so neat. And then somebody takes each piece out and then hand polishes it. It's unreal. Yeah, that like happens. And you don't think about that, you know, when, I mean, I do now, you know, now when I, you know, when I came back the first time, you know, I went through my barn and I was like, ah, oh, that's not going in their mouth. That's not going in their mouth because, you know, it, it's not made in a factory in China. Like it's literally made where somebody knows the size and how to do it and why they do it. And it, like you said, it's a lifelong craft for these, these workers. And they're really proud. They were really cute when they came in, you know, when, when our group came in and, and we saw and, you know, it's not, they're also spurs, they're um, stirrups. There's, there's a whole range of products that are made there. Um, and I didn't re realize also Springer has a sailing division where. Yeah, we, cool. we do some, some hardware for boating sort of on, yeah, sailing side. And then there's also a pretty large canine manufacturing, you know, plant, or I guess it's all in the same plant, but a component where we do a lot of the training collars for canines and for law enforcement and for military and, and quite frankly, just for, you know, regular 
people as well. So yeah, but that's it. I mean, this, this company, think about it, this company for five generations has been making equestrian bits, started making equestrian bits for the cavalry, you know, back in the 1800s and has really been able to just drive that business for five generations. And sure, we diversified. We, you know, we work for, you know, we work with some canine products now and we work with some sailing and boat products. But for the most part, you have five generations equestrian knowledge and not just equestrian knowledge, but very targeted, you know, bit knowledge. It's really, it's, again, it's pretty incredible. It really is. And, and, you know, you talked a little bit about the metals and um, when, when Heiko gave us a presentation, he talked about how the metals have sort of changed over time. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and how you talked a little bit about that? You know what, actually, I, it's funny that you said that because I, I think I may have given you at the very beginning, I think I may have given you the sort of Oregon, which was the original metal that we had used. The, that is the one that has the copper, the zinc, and the silicone in it. Now, Sensagon actually is the copper with the zinc and the manganese. So we took the silicone out um, of the Sensagon and we took the dialed the copper down a little bit on the Sensagon for two reasons, because the copper, not only is it the soft metal, like I had said earlier, but it actually causes oxidation. And that's a good thing and a bad thing, right? So the oxidation helps the salivation and sort of the saliva and the licking and the chewing that we want for horses. But too much of it, we were seeing can also lead to over salivation. So we were getting some feedback on that, as well as just the oxidation discoloring the bit. And so the Oregon bits that you have that maybe you've had for several years or several decades, as many people have had, they take on a very, very coppery color. The Sensagon, because it has less copper in it, and I'm only talking about like 10% less copper. So if you think Oregon had about 85% copper in it, Sensagon has right around the 75% mark of copper. So still a very high copper content, but just dialed it back enough to not have the over-salivation and hopefully not to have the over-oxidation too. Yeah. I mean, it's just even the metal, you know, again, we don't think about the metal, but Springer thinks about the metal like that's in them and in, in, in the combination and it are constantly changing, not constantly, but there's research and development on what's better for horses. And I think that there is. And one of the reasons that we don't have nickel in there is because, you know, nickel is an allergen. You know, there are humans that have nickel allergies and there are some horses that are allergic to nickel. And so we have made the decision not to put nickel into our bit. Yeah, that makes sense. So Vivian, tell us, cause it, cause it was cute. Cause we were in the kind of where the labeling goes on. So there's a whole section on where they put the bits in that box and there's a label. And I was, and I asked either Martin or Heiko or both. Um, I said, oh yeah, you know, I know there's the, the, you know, there's a certain way the bits need to be fitted. Are you sure? Like you can't flip it around that the triangle doesn't need to be down the left side. And Martin's like, it's on the label. Didn't you read the label? And I was like, well, I kind of threw the label away. You know, I kind of threw the label away. So uh, I'm not going to lie. So can you explain that a little bit on what's going on? Yeah, yeah. So all of the Springer bits, well, that's not true. Any of the Springer bits that are anatomically formed, which is most of them, have uh, they have anatomical shape, which means there's a correct way to put them in the mouth and there's an incorrect way that they can go onto the bridle. So to help make it easier for riders and for grooms, 
we have an arrow on the piece of the bit that should go on the left-hand side facing forward. And so any of our shaped bits have that arrow. And that goes back to the Oregon bits as well. So the Sensagon bits, they have a black circle and the arrow is within the black circle. Oregon bits just have the arrow without a black circle. And some of those Oregon bits that I've seen, uh, I, I'm not joking when I say they're decades old, but you can usually still feel that arrow. So sometimes maybe if you're getting a used bit or you have a bit that's been, you know, buried in your tack room and you want to sort of dig it out again and you think, uh-oh, I heard something about this arrow. You can usually still find it with your finger and feel it. So it's right on the end of the mouthpiece. And really, it, it's so important that it goes on the left-hand side, facing the direction of travel, facing forward. You know, you, you go through all of this time and effort and research to find the appropriate bit for your horse. And then, you know, if you don't put it in the right way, it's probably not going to have the reaction that you were hoping for. <laughs> Yeah, and so that's a good thing to just remember. Take a look at your bits and make sure that that arrow is down on the left side. That does actually matter. Well, Vivian, we are so happy you've been on the show today, and you're going to be coming on in the next few months to give us even more education about bits because it it is really something we are all starting to understand that it's really important that we kind of, you know, really pay attention to. So how can our listeners find some more information about Springer, and, and if they need more help, how can they get it? So Springer has a pretty comprehensive website, actually. It is also available in English, and it's just Springer.de, and you can hit the little British flag on there and a lot of wonderful information, photographs, research pictures, videos are all available on that website. Fantastic. Well, we look forward to hearing from you in the next couple months. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Well, Phil, I have to be honest, for our total saddle fit tip of the week, I am loving my stability stirrup leathers. I use them all the time, and now I'm really training the extended trot and Big Mike, so I am really using those bad boys right now, and I love them. They're fantastic. Yeah, actually, I did a little photo shoot with one of my horses, and he, you know, when I was not riding, because I wanted to highlight the the stirrup leathers, and, uh, and I sent a little pic to Justin, and then... He is using that picture for a promotion for yes. the stirrup for the stirrup leathers and for the girth. So uh, I'm happy. My, one of my horses, his name is Vinny. I call him Vinny, anyways. Was featured on one of their ads that went up on Facebook, and uh, it's a great looking horse. He's like a model, like a horse version of a model. He's you can put anything on him; it looks awesome. So I'm seriously we're happy to, looking right to, now. <laughs> we're happy to do that. It was it's kind of fun. I love it. Well, how fun is that? So these really are, we use these products. We absolutely love them. And um, if you have any questions, totalsaddlefit.com and Justin will take great care of you. And they really are fantastic stirrup leathers. And we have a great Total Saddle Fit tip of the week this week. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Johan Bauhaus for our tip of the week. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. 
Well, for this week's Total Saddle Fit Tip of the Week, we have FEI three-star international judge Joanne Bauhaus on the program. Joanne, welcome. Thanks for staying on for a trainer tip. Okay, thank you. Well, you have a great tip for us this week from a trainer and judge's perspective, so I'll just let you get started. My trainer's tip would be to really look at the pyramid of training, and at the lower levels, we're very uh, much interested in seeing that the first three steps of that pyramid are followed. So the first step is your rhythm with a active gait, and the second step is suppleness, and the third step is your contact or your connection. So as a trainer, I want horses that are going forward in a supple way, reaching for the contact. And as a judge, I want to also see that. So if a horse is doing a movement in the ring, the first thing that I look at is, is it doing it in a nice rhythm? Is the rhythm correct? Is it like a four-beat walk, a two-beat trot, a three-beat canter? And does it have some energy? so that the horse actually feels like it's going somewhere. And then I look to see whether or not the horse is swinging through its body, whether it is bent correctly in those circles or fairly straight, so supple and straight on the straight lines. And then the next thing I look for is to see whether or not the horse is accepting of the contact and whether or not they have an elastic feel between the rider's hands and the horse's mouth. And everything gets marked according to that. Those are the three most important things. So even if you don't have a fancy moving horse, you can still make it very correct by making sure that the rhythm is correct, the suppleness is good, and that the horse accepts the contact. Joanne, that's that's wonderful. I just wanted to ask you if somebody has a problem with the first step of the training pyramid uh, rhythm, you know, how do they identify that? at home on their own a little bit, you know, how would you, what advice would you give to somebody about, um, you know, their trot rhythm? Uh, Yeah. So with the trot rhythm, you could use a metronome to help you find whether or not you have a nice clear one, one, two, one, two beat in the trot. And can you stay in the same beat, whether you're trotting on a circle, trotting a straight line, trotting on a diagonal, And if you make the circles a little bit smaller, does the trot change or does it stay on the same beat? So a metronome is really good for that. For the walk, the four-beat walk, again, you can use a metronome. It's a little harder to find the beat of the walk when you're riding. It might be better to have somebody on the ground helping you or videotaping you so that you can watch it again. And the canter with the definite three-beat, one, two, three, with the moment of suspension again afterwards. And and relaxation and suppleness, I think that that is a tough one because there's lots of components to that kind of rung of the pyramid. So can you tell us a little bit more about that one? So the suppleness we're looking for, there's two types of suppleness. So we have lateral suppleness. So that's the ability of the horse to bend left and right from nose to tail. So you have some flexion in the jowl, some bending in the neck, some positioning to the inside bend through the body and through the loins of the horse. And you would like it to be equal from nose to tail. So it's not like they have bent 30 degrees in the neck, but they're only bending 5 degrees through their body. I mean, the body cannot bend all that much on the horse. So then you have to make sure you're not overdoing it in the neck. And the other suppleness that we have is longitudinal suppleness. So the longitudinal suppleness runs over the top line of the horse. Again, from the nose to the tail, you would like to see that the muscles on the back of the horse are nice and relaxed and swinging 
undulating a little bit as the horse is trotting along and that the neck of the horse has a bit of an arch to it. So the, the arch in the neck helps to pull the back of the horse up and then the activity in the hind leg that asks the hind quarters to step underneath also helps to pull the back up. And then the feeling is that you're sitting on a bridge instead of in a hammock while you're riding. Awesome. Those are great tips. And you don't need a metronome anymore. There's lots of metronome apps that you can get on your phone. I wanted That's to right. add that because I, mm-hmm. yeah, I use one myself. And uh, what I try and do with the walk is time the back legs because like Joanne said, the, the four beat rhythm is hard to do on a, you know, on a metro, metronome or just to, to figure it out on your own. But what I try and really focus on is on the, the back two legs when they move in the one, two, and then and then uh, try and sort it out from that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense, mm-hmm. Joanne? Yeah, it does. And sometimes watching your footsteps too. So if you're riding in the sunlight, you can look at the shadow that the horse is making and you can watch the shadow to see whether or not the horse is stepping forward and in the correct rhythm. So the hind leg is touching the ground approximately the same time as the foreleg on the same side is coming off. So they're not moving at the same time, which would give them a lateral walk. Fantastic. Well, Joanne, thank you so much for your time this evening. It's been so great. If our listeners were wanting to get in touch with you, how could they do that? They could contact me on Facebook. Um, I have a Facebook page. It's Joanne Bowis, B-O-U-W-H-U-I-S. Fantastic. Thanks so much. We look forward to seeing you at a show soon. Okay. Thank you. Well, Phil... You know, and I know, we love Facebook and email shoutouts, so we hope our listeners keep them coming. Uh, we have some trainer tips in the queue, and, and we've actually had quite a busy summer already, so we're excited to, we will be getting to those. And um, I just want to remind everybody, we do have a book club going on, and it is The Riding Doctor. And you can find that at www.horseandriderbooks.com. And we just want to remind you, because this is a great one. It's fantastic. I'm doing a lot of the hip stretches myself. We hope you enjoy that book. And we're going to review it here shortly in the next couple weeks. So don't forget. And as always, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. I think the best way to find me is on Facebook or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week for allowing us to put on a show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. As always, don't forget to keep your heels down and your shoulders back and we will talk to you next week. 